We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With US Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. US Bank credit cards are issued by US Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to another episode of the Roadwire NBA show. Some of you are listening on Dash Radio's NBA channel. Some of you are listening in the Roadwire podcast feed. It is Wednesday, October 28th. As always, roadwire.com slash pod will get you 10 days of access to our website, roadwire.com. I am Nick Whalen, joined as always by Roadwire's assistant NBA editor, Alex Barutha. Alex, uh, I was going to talk about the three-year anniversary of Devin Booker's 70-point game to begin the pod. Uh, I was I was looking through NBA Reddit, just trying to come up with some things for us to talk about because it is a relative dead period in the NBA schedule. And I will say now there was a very misleading post um, that made me believe that today was the three-year anniversary of that game. It is, in fact, not at all. Uh, and once I started to put like any iota of thought into it, it was like, yeah, that that definitely did not happen in like the first or second game of the season. It was actually March 24th of 2017. So I want to clear the air. We're not going to be talking about that. Um, but before we get to a few news items, the biggest news item, Andrew Bynum officially filed his retirement paperwork with the league today. 
Andrew Bynum is retired on his 33rd birthday. It's unbelievable. Um, I still believe that he can make it in the NBA, maybe become an all NBA player. Um, I believe that he will make it. Yeah, he will. He will. And be in the, uh, his jersey will be in the rafters somewhere. I don't know. I, I, I admit, I, it's weird to say, I feel like I miss Andrew buying up. Like I, I had so much faith in him that he would be like really good because he was really good. He was and good. He, he was good in the playoffs, like 15 and 10 for <laughs> his last two playoff seasons. Um, two rings. Yeah. Two rings. I thought, I thought he was going to just carry on the, you know, like the, <laughs> the, the, the Lakers historic big man legacy, but that did not happen. No, and, and it really was almost entirely injury related. Uh, although once he once he came back from the injuries, there was it was revealed that he was maybe not uh, as normal of a person as we thought uh, with what happened in Cleveland, in Indiana, and the hair picture more than anything uh, <laughs> is probably at the top of the list of concerns. But yeah, I want to just take a moment and, and just talk about Andrew Bynum because I, I think he has become this meme. You know, since the injury, he he had his best season in 2011-12. Uh, that was, you know, slightly after he had won the two rings with the Lakers. That was at the point where where Kobe, you know, was really kind of starting to sh- show signs at his age. And Bynum averaged 19 and 12 with two blocks that year. Played 60 games, was an all-star. That was his only all-star game. Um, and then, of course, you know, late in the season, goes down with a knee injury. That keeps him out all of 12, 13. Uh, and then really was never the same player after that. But like I said, I, I think he's kind of become this joke in retrospect. But he was a heck of a player and, you know, really playing alongside Pau Gasol, playing alongside Kobe. I don't even think even when he was healthy for those like four and a half years, we never really got to see the full Bynum experience. One, because he was so young and it, it took him a little bit to develop. And two, he was always playing alongside, you know, an, another high volume player or, or kind of playing somewhat out of position, you know, alongside Pau Gasol with, with two centers, which more than anything just speaks to the style of play around that time. But he was a monster. I just want to put it out there. For, for a good two and a half years, Andrew Bynum was an extremely good NBA player. I will never get sick of watching the YouTube video of him going up against Shaq. Uh, it's like a back and forth that they have. And I feel like that's like the main... If you just type Andrew Bynum into YouTube, that's like the, the one that comes up the most or has the most views, I think. And uh, yeah, he was good. I mean, he had great post moves for like his age. And he, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, scoring 20 points a game at... 24 years old, um, 35 minutes a game as a center. Like, it's he, he was really good. Did, it's his birthday today, also. Did he retire it on is. his birthday? Yeah, what a way to celebrate your birthday. Like, officially getting around to filing that retirement paperwork. Hasn't played an NBA game in over six years. <laughs> um, never, never was a three point shooter. I'll, I'll say that. Not, and at the time, nobody was clamoring for him to be a three point shooter. I, I, I do wonder, you know, had he come along five or six years later. Uh, is he able to add that, you know, always had kind of a mechanical type of shot, but was a pretty decent free throw shooter. I mean, he was like, he was terrible as a free throw shooter right away. I I think he missed like, he was eight of 27 his rookie year. Um, but then was steadily, you know, high sixties, low seventies by the end of his career was into the mid seventies. I think it's possible that, that he could have succeeded. Um, you know, had he come along a little bit later or had his career lasted a little bit longer, but um, yeah, I don't want to spend our full 55 minutes on Andrew Bynum, but just, just wanted to take a second to, to highlight that. I, I appreciate you bringing him back into my life briefly. Thank you. And if you haven't, you know, if you haven't read the, if you weren't in the NBA at the time, the Andrew Bynum practice story, I believe it was in Cleveland, right? 
I think so. He was bouncing around. It, it might have been Philly. I don't know. I think it was Cleveland, though, where he essentially was shooting the ball every single time he touched it. And I remember hearing that report and thinking, like, that's probably an exaggeration. I, I'm sure it was. I'm sure it wasn't that bad. And then you, you saw some of the quotes. It was like, no, literally, every time he touched the ball, no matter where he was, he was just firing up shots. So uh, go dig that up if you haven't read it. Um, in terms of actual pertinent NBA news, Alex, the NBA season can now start as early as December 22nd. And I would argue that, in fact, it looks like it's heading that direction very quickly. We've, we've gotten some morsels of updates from, from guys like Mark Stein and Shams Terania and Woj over the last week or so. Um, and there appears to be significant momentum, especially on the side of the NBA, as opposed to the players, uh, to get this season started. Um, you know, for one, a lot of these teams, you know, basically half the league haven't played since since March 10th. So, you know, there's something to be said for for those teams and, and maybe trying to do something for them and not making them wait essentially a full year. Uh, but the bigger issue by far seems to be the difference in projected revenue when you factor in starting the season, uh, having the, you know, the big kind of opening night. Usually the NBA kind of does like a two night opener with with big games and back to back nights. Those, of course, draw huge ratings for the TV partners. And then the big kicker is the Christmas Day slate, which usually includes five games, 10 marquee teams, all day games. You know, there's no NFL on Christmas. There's no baseball, of course, on Christmas. Um, that's always been the NBA's kind of bread and butter uh, as far as TV ratings. And I, I think they're a little bit shook by, you know, one, how much money they had to spend to put the bubble on and, and of course, not have fans there, no gate revenue. And two, the the poor TV ratings which, you know, the league itself maybe might not be that concerned about. But when you, you know, kind of owe certain uh, negotiations to broadcasting partners, I would imagine there is significant pressure from ESPN, TNT, ABC um, to get those numbers back up. So that that appears to be the primary motivation for uh, advancing a schedule that I think even a week ago, you and I were talking about, you know, comfortably starting in like late January, maybe February or even March. Yeah, it seems like this, it would be more surprising if the league did not start uh, in, on December 22nd. And I, you're right. I thought there was a strong chance it would start in February or, or even March. Like, I didn't think they would, they'd worry too much about some of those teams having almost a full year off. But, you know, I mean, maybe we should have seen this coming considering revenue <laughs> above everything else, right? Right. Uh, and, yeah, even if... You know, even if some of the teams aren't that excited for it, especially the teams that went, you know, deep in the playoffs, it's just I'm sure the league will do everything they can to kind of like ease teams into um, this. I mean, as much as possible, just squeezing the offseason, um, doing training camp differently. I don't even know if there will be. I, I it, It's hard for me to imagine there will be a preseason, but mm. I feel like they might try to do something where you just kind of get the quote-unquote bad games out of the way early in the schedule. Um, you know, I was like, I, I feel like you just try to get like the, you know, Pistons versus Clippers, those games out of the way early as kind of a warm-up for everyone and then do the, try to, you know, fix the schedule to be more competitive later on. But it'll be really interesting to see how they do this, especially since it sounds like they still want to play you know, the 70 or 72 games. They don't want to you know, reduce the amount of games beyond that. And, um, you know, are they going to go back to more back-to-backs, more four games and five nights kinds of a thing, um, especially with all the travel complications? 
I think the answer to that is a definitive yes, because part of the the goal here is to get the season back on the right schedule, I think, in time for 21-22, right? You know, you, I, I think yeah. ideally we're past the pandemic, at least to the degree that's realistic, by next October. And then, you, you know, you're back on that schedule. You're back to playing 82. You're back to spacing the games out. You're back to, you know, the normal NBA calendar. Uh, so I think there's some foresight there by the NBA. And, and really the only way to achieve that, like you said, if, if the goal is to play 70-72 games, you're going to have to do some four and five nights. You're going to have to have back-to-backs. Uh, there's really it's just a math equation at that point. Uh, I, I have seen like one one saving grace, I guess, to some degree for the league and for the schedule makers is there shouldn't be, you know, the usual, uh, you know, kind of it's almost like a draft type of system. You know, when they when they make this schedule, it's like, all right, well, we can't put this team in Sacramento on this night because there's a Shania Twain concert and there's a two chains concert in Milwaukee this night. So the Bucks have to be on the road there. You know, you, you kind of start crossing out certain dates and, and everything should be open. You know, there's, there's really nothing going on at any of these arenas, whether you have fans or not. Um, it should be relatively easy to put this team in this city on this night and, and not really have to worry too much about conflicts. Um, but, you know, I would push back a little bit on the notion that they'll, I, I think they will backload the schedule because I, I think they'll, they'll, you know, kind of want to have a big bang at first and then, you know, later in the season, just like they do in any year, you know, you have your, your big marquee games, you know, your ABC Sunday type of games later right. in the year. But I mean, you're not going to put Pistons Hornets on opening night. You're, no, you're, no, you're, no. you're going to have Lakers Clippers. You're going to have, um, you know, the, you're going to have Rockets, Knicks or what, you know, I, I think those teams have played on Christmas a couple of times. Like the, the marquee teams are going to be uh, on, on the opening night, but uh, you're right. I, I could see, I could see them being a little kinder to teams like Miami and the Lakers uh, even Boston, Denver, you know, teams that were playing deep into the bubble, uh, giving those teams a little bit more of a, of a lenient start. But at the same time, we keep we keep harping on how deep the league is going to be next year. You know, like there's only so many gimme games. You know, are, are the Lakers just going to go play the, the Hornets and the Pistons and kind of alternate those for for a few weeks? <laughs> um, and that brings up the other issue of, you know, you're not they're not doing a bubble. There's going to be travel, but I, I, there's been talk of, you know, kind of clustering some of these games, you know, if, if you're the Lakers and you're going to play at Detroit, maybe the next night you're in Milwaukee and two nights later you're in Chicago, then you're in Cleveland. Uh, then maybe you reverse course and go back to Chicago, back to like you play, you know, you play all those Eastern Conference teams twice. I, I think there's a, a high chance that you try to knock out all those regional games in one fell swoop. I think that's exactly how they'll do it. I think, th- I think the main key is reducing air travel. It's like, using buses as much as possible and just, you know, kind of knocking out divisions like you're alluding to. And especially, you know, for back-to-backs, if you're going to play each team in your division still four times, then I imagine a lot of the back-to-back scenarios will be Bucks versus Pistons in Detroit twice, like Monday, Mm -hmm. Tuesday. And then you could just take a bus to Milwaukee and do those games you know, yeah. back to back, essentially. And that's how you can knock out right. your four games in five nights with as little travel as possible. So I assume there'll be, be a lot of that. Yeah, I'd be I'd be interested to see if the bus thing happens. I really hadn't thought about that. I mean, obviously, you're, you know, you, you want to reduce players going into crowded airports. Although I don't know, I full disclosure, I'm not in the NBA. I don't fly private. I don't know how that works. Like, you know, those guys aren't going through the normal security line or anything. So in terms of like the you know, catching the virus in an airport. I don't know if that's a huge concern, but I do think they don't want teams flying from Philadelphia to Phoenix and then 
you know, Phoenix up to Portland and playing two games back to back. I think it would be more about reducing those long flights and then having to play a game that next day, you know, kind of wanting to give teams, if you have to make a long flight, you know, normally you get a day off or, or two days off after that game, something like that. And on a condensed schedule, you know, that maybe that's just not possible, but um, yeah, I, I think I'm actually not against even in a non pandemic situation. I'm not against playing a two game series uh, or, or even like a three game series in, in some scenarios, you know, if it's interconference, uh, like you see in baseball, I, I think, you know, long-term, if the NBA wants to continue to play 82 games, I, I think that's a concession that they might have to make. Um, you know, I, I think as a fan, it's more fun when your team is playing a new team every single night, but, uh, it, it just makes a lot of sense in terms of reducing strain on the players, reducing travel, um, to, to play back-to-back nights or two games and three nights against the same team. Yeah, see, I actually, I actually think it's uh, from a from a fan perspective. I'm on the side of thinking it's more interesting to play the same team twice in a row, um, mm-hmm. and then maybe you know doing like the home and home thing or um, you know inner division. I I think that's more fun because I think it engages you. Like if you know if your team loses to whoever and then you play them, you know, the next night or two nights later, I feel like there's more of a reason to watch. And you're like, oh, we got to beat these guys this time or um i i don't know i just think i i i think it just makes more sense for the players and i don't think the fan experience will be changed mm-hmm. significantly you know i think you're right the more that i think about it i, I do like that storyline you know of even if it's you know if it's cavaliers lakers and you know the first night let's say the Cavs pull off a win you know maybe somebody's hurt or whatever but the Cavs win like if you're the lakers you have a chance to avenge that loss right away Right. Or let's say, you know, I don't know, TJ Warren and Jimmy Butler try to fight each other in a game. You have to play again 48 hours later. You know, I, I do kind of like that. Um, the only thing is, I think you, you would maybe have issues of, you know, if if LeBron is hurt for three weeks, you know, he would he might miss a total of nine games against three teams. You know, something like that where, right. you know, there, there's some issue, I guess, with longer term injuries, you know, affecting certain opponents versus not. But I mean, at the end of the day, that's really not something that the league can can necessarily plan for. But uh, yeah, we really don't have many details at all right now in terms of how the schedule will work. Um, I, I think it is still on the table to maybe do regional bubbles. It, it, nothing as severe as, you know, quarantining the entire league with these crazy protocols in Orlando. But I, I don't think it's off the table that there could be like four or eight regional sites, depending on the track of the virus over the next few months. Right. And I, I just don't know how you would do fans in that scenario, if it's even possible. I mean, the attendance, I mean, for the way the NFL is working right now, I mean, how much can most of these teams really be making off of attendance anyway? You know, like, doesn't not, it seem not pretty much, but yeah, but I mean, it's, it's still something, I guess. But yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know how, what it costs to, like, operate a stadium on a game day. But I would imagine if you're if you're able to, like, break even that's still like a, that's still a huge win you know even though you're used to pulling in i don't know 100 million dollars in gate revenue on a, on a game day just not losing money I'm, I'm sure is something uh you know you know some sort of gain for those teams and i think right now like about a third of the league's teams would be able to have limited numbers of fans it remains to be seen if the league would even allow that though right yeah i mean the nba's obviously been pretty conservative with this whole thing right so and who knows where things will be in in December? Um, and right. obviously, a lot of that just comes down to like 
government stuff and vaccine stuff and and stuff that's completely out of control the nba and really anybody else i think there might be something to to being in an arena versus an open air stadium although some teams some nfl teams with domes are able to have fans so maybe not i have no idea support for this podcast comes from wild turkey kentucky straight bourbon whiskey let's tune in to their one-on-one with jamal a real bartender from old fourth ward in atlanta I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Um, Mark Stein today tweeted that uh, NBA free agency, uh, according to some teams, they've they've been told to prepare... Uh, for that to start November 20th or November 21st, which would be either two days or three days right after the NBA draft, which is locked in for uh, November 18th. To me, that's not that big of a deal. Um, you know, the league has had free agency start close after the draft in the past. You know, teams have had forever to prepare for this draft. I don't think that's a, a huge, huge issue. But I think you look ahead and and Mark Stein followed up and and noted that training camp would essentially begin December 1st. That does not give you a lot of turnaround time. You know, if, if you're, if you're a draft pick, some of these guys might be in France or be in Lithuania or whatever on draft night. Like you have to come over, you have to get settled. And I mean, you're starting work within like a two week span. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, basically. I mean, I, I think I mean, maybe some, some of those guys who, if they're like a hundred percent sure they'll be drafted, they'll come over early, but also where do you, stay <laughs> you know do you just like hang out in new york for the week or whatever right. um yeah it is pretty quick and i i mean i i think the nba is just going to be like that's not our problem you know if your draft pick gets there in the last week of training camp that's just how it is sorry i mm-hmm. i think there's just going to be some situations like that um i i mean i don't know if this is a great jumping off point but do you think do you think the league should still do the draft before free agency or do you think they should flip it in general yeah, not necessarily just for this season yeah I, i've thought about this before i i don't think it's a huge problem as is i will say i, I think if it were up to me i would flip it i, I think you could kind of keep the same type of timeline um where you know the draft would would kind of be a few days into free agency or maybe a week or two after free agency i i do think you know, more often than not, the teams picking at the top are are in a rebuilding type of mode. You know, they're not teams that are going all in for a free agent. Um, but I think having the draft before free agency does kind of put those teams in a bad spot. Um, and I, I don't really necessarily see a reason why you have to do this. You know, I think it would make more sense, certainly from a financial planning perspective for these teams um, to at least know what they have, you know, you, uh, sometimes you're making these picks and not really knowing, you know, what your roster is going to look like even a week later, you know, especially in a year like this, you might not know what your roster looks like. If you're, you know, if you're golden state, you know, picking number two on draft night and, you know, free agency and, you know, potential trade season starts two days after that, um, things could be pretty dramatically different. So yeah, I, I think I would put the, I would put free agency before the draft. Where do you stand? I'm with you on that. That's that's why I brought it up. I just I think like it makes I think it puts both the teams and the rookies. I think it puts everybody in better position, yeah. right? Like right. like a rookie 
rookies will theoretically only go to teams where their position might need to be filled or the team. I mean, right. there's a strong chance the team is so bad that they'll just get playing time anyway. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it just makes, I think it just would be easier on the team chemistry yeah. on the general managers, like everybody. No, for sure. I mean, I think a lot of the examples you can think of, you know, like LeBron coming back to the Cavs, you know, they drafted Andrew Wiggins and then Wiggins was just in purgatory for a good like month until they worked the Kevin Love trade. But Cleveland had to make the pick. They couldn't agree to trade the number one pick until they knew for sure that LeBron was coming, which didn't happen until a few weeks later, you know? So you're, you're kind of, it, it takes unique situations like that to really throw the system off, but it's pretty hard to come up with a, a concrete reason why the draft has to happen first. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm sure there is one. Like, I'm sure there are people who can give me good arguments yeah. for it, but I, I just like hear. off the top of my <laughs> do not hit me up on Twitter. Uh, no, I just, I off the top of my head, I don't really have anything, mm-hmm. which is why it's confusing to me. Yeah, I think the teams in like the middle of the first round would probably benefit most almost, you know, t- where you might be drafting. You know, you, I don't think there's a lot of drafting for need in the NBA, um, partially because there's basically like two positions at this point. Um, and anybody <laughs> you draft, you can fit in, you know, I mean, but if you're picking ninth or 10th overall, you know, and you have, uh, you know, let's say you're like Orlando and, you know, I think Evan Fournier has a player option and it's like, we don't know if he's going to pick this up or not. Let's say he doesn't pick it up. Then you think, OK, maybe we should lean towards drafting a wing to to help replace that depth, you know, and you don't really have that luxury, um, what, you know, when, when the draft's taking place as it does now. We've kind of buried the lead on this whole discussion uh, to some degree. Uh, Danny Green on, on the Ringer NBA show earlier this week uh, was on as a guest just kind of um, talking about everything uh, with, I think it was Raja Bell was, was the host that day. And he just like super casually noted that he was like, yeah, if the, if the NBA season starts December 22nd, he said he was aware of the reports. He's like, yeah, LeBron's not going to be there. Veterans aren't going to be there. Rajon Rondo's not going to be there. I might not be there. I, I think that's a real possibility. I, you know, if you're the Lakers, like are you, <laughs> how strictly are they going to, make is LeBron going to be going through two days, you know, the, the day that camp opens. I don't think so. Um, would LeBron go as far as to sit out the first month of the season as Danny green implied? I don't think so. Especially when you're talking about the NBA trying to make this huge splash on opening night and on Christmas day, LeBron and the Lakers are an absolute guarantee to be playing on both of those nights. And I, the, obviously there's no scenario in which the league would allow that to happen. Right. I don't think so. I, I mean, I, I would also be very surprised if LeBron or anyone else sat out for any significant portion of time. I mean, I think I think most likely we just end up seeing LeBron in the most extreme cruise control mode we, we've ever seen him, right? Just yeah, like, and I, I think it'll also be it'll be easier for players to take nights off this season. I don't I don't think there will be any pushback if guys are doing the Kawhi um, load yeah. management, right? Like, partially because they're most of the time there won't even be fans. And that's always the argument is you're robbing me and my eight-year-old son of the experience of watching Kawhi Leonard. Like, well, you're not even going to be there. So obviously <laughs> the league's not going to encourage it, but I don't think there will be repercussions for guys sitting out, especially guys like LeBron and, and you know, the Heat players who were, their season ended two weeks ago. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, everyone can always fake injuries at this point. Like it's not, you know, like if they have to, if they really feel like sitting out, um, yeah, I just I, I think maybe we just see some of these guys take it really easy at first. Although I kind of thought that would be the case in the bubble. And then right. um, 
once started playing like full throttle right away. Yeah, and when it comes to LeBron, we need to keep in mind, this is the same guy who also said that he wouldn't play in a bubble and would only play in front of fans and changes to it pretty quickly on that one. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right, so let's get to some of the non-playoff teams. Last week, we, we only made it through nine of the 14. Uh, you know, we got a little carried away talking about the Wizards and the Hornets and the Pistons, uh, but we still have New Orleans, Sacramento, San Antonio, Phoenix, and Memphis to talk through. Let's start with New Orleans. We'll just go alphabetically. I, I, well, there's actually, I, I don't know where to begin. I, I was going to, I wanted to start with JJ Redick, the possibility of him being traded. Um, I mean, this is a team that I, I think people maybe justifiably jumped the gun last year. And yeah, I mean, I, there were people projecting the Pelicans, you know, to finish as high as like fifth or sixth in the West. I, I think it, it really took a while for people to jump off them. You know, even going back into the bubble, it was like, oh, they're a lock to get the eight seed. Nobody wants to play the Pelicans. Healthy Zion. And none of that ever really came to fruition. They they really never put together like a great month of basketball. Uh, you had kind of different players. You know, Brandon Ingram played really well before the bubble. wasn't great once Zion came back. Um, you know, other than Drew Holiday, they they just I feel like they didn't really have one guy who was you know consistently playing up to his potential for the entire year. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think they were one of the most drastically underperforming teams in the NBA, like relative to their, their talent level. I I mean, I think, I mean, I kind of think it makes sense for them to do a mini rebuild, but they clearly don't think that since they hired Stan Van Gundy, uh, who is probably not going to want to coach a rebuilding team, even if it has Zion, even if it has Zion and Ingram on it. Uh, So I think maybe they'll just try to retool. I mean, maybe they can trade Redick, maybe they can trade Holiday, but those guys are still like really good. And I just, I mean, maybe... I mean, if I'm if I'm ownership and I'm the general manager, I probably figure that. I mean, if I also think they just really underperformed, that a coaching change should change that, right? Like, you figure I'll just I'll flip the coach around, and I mean, this is just kind of a scenario where it's like, well, I I don't want to change anybody on this roster, mm-hmm. so I'll just change a coach and hope that fixes things. So I got, I mean, I guess, I guess they'll run it back. I, I what is their path to dramatic improvement? next year i guess that's my question you know i, I guy uh, drew holiday uh jj reddick guys like that you know probably aren't getting any better they are what they are at this point we'll see with brandon ingram I and mean, maybe there's a chance he, he has another gear in him I and mean, we i don't think anybody thought the year he had this past year he necessarily had in him so so we'll see with him i mean does it does it really lie in zion and lonzo you know if those two guys play significantly better this is a different team but if they don't you know, at the end of the day, there was there was kind of a lot of like what ifs with them last year. You know, I think people were really excited about Nikhil Alexander Walker early in the season. And and he, you know, a couple months in wasn't even in the rotation. And Derek Favors, kind of a disaster for them. Jackson Hayes wasn't really ready. Uh, I think a lot of the pieces that people talked themselves into um, just just really weren't prepared for that. And based on what we saw from both Lonzo and Zion in the bubble, I, I think it's pretty hard to especially with such a quick turnaround, it's pretty hard to, to really talk yourself back in on those guys. Um, you know, not not saying they can't be good players, but being guys who are all of a sudden going to be ready to to push this team into like the top six or seven in the West when it's so deep. Yeah, I mean, the West being so good is really what makes it difficult. Yeah. Because if, I mean, you can say this for a lot of different teams in the West, but if New Orleans was in the East, you figured they'd be a lock for this the eighth seed or the seventh seed, right? Like I won't even really yeah. think about it. 
Um, I, I agree, but on paper, on paper, it's like, would you rather have New Orleans roster or Utah's roster? Um, well, I mean, I'd rather have Utah's roster. I mean, they're, I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's more guys I like on the Pelicans, but, you know, Utah had how many more wins? Like, I don't know, like 14 more wins? Uh, yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, I feel like the, I mean, the last time we saw Utah, they didn't have Bogdanovich. Right. And he was a huge part of their team. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, again, New Orleans is one of my favorite teams just from like a roster standpoint, from an entertainment perspective. I think they're awesome. It's just that, you know, again, yeah, I mean, how much is, I don't, I mean, I don't think Ingram's going to make like another leap. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've, uh, before on, you know, on, on different shows, we've kind of talked about how Zion, I mean, next season is going to be a really big year for him because he, he needs to really improve on defense and he needs to be able to do something else other than be like a post up forward and like an alley-oop lob threat. Um, obviously he's still really good, but his, I, th- I think, I hope Stan Van Gundy just helps him expand his game a little bit. And, um, but yeah, I mean, if, if this team performs up to their talent level, they should be a playoff team. It's just that like, I don't think they're that much better on paper than like even Phoenix is. Right. Yeah, and I mean, last time we saw Phoenix, they were undefeated in the bubble, and New Orleans looked like maybe the worst team of any team that that made it to Orlando. You know, like those teams, I, I, I wrote in my notes that it felt like every single player on the Pelicans roster decreased their stock in the bubble. Yeah. Every single one of them. Yeah, especially Lonzo, who was atrocious yeah. um, and looked like unplayable at points. Mm-hmm. I just... Yeah, because if you think about this team from, like, theoretically, the third best player is either, what, Zion? It's, it's probably Zion, right, at this point? And if, I, I, I think so, yeah. I also think right now Zion is the most overrated player in the NBA. And that says more about just the extreme amount of hype around him. Like, he is still really good. But I, I think the average NBA fan thinks he's coming off of, like, this insane rookie year. I He just wasn't that good. No, I, I, I just... You figure you're in a pretty good spot if, you know, he's your third best player or sure. J.J. Redick is your fourth best player or something like that. Um, so they probably don't feel like they're they're in a bad spot. And that's mm-hmm. that's understandable. No, absolutely. And I don't mean to pile on Zion necessarily, but, um, you know, I, I think he has to show a little more this year you know, based on where the expectations were um, as far as him being a LeBron, Anthony Davis level prospect. You know, I, I know the the rebounding and the and the scoring numbers and the efficiency were good, but outside of that, it was it was honestly a disaster. And I, I think there are some significant holes that he needs to plug before next season. And I, I think there may be one of those teams that, you know, if you talk about like is there is there a certain team or player that you think benefits from the season being moved up by, you know, two or three months compared to what we thought a few weeks ago? Um, I don't know. So I think I, if, I, if a... I'm New Orleans or like, I was going to bring it up with Zion. You know, it's like, I, I think sure. you kind of want as much time as possible for him to condition and, you know, whatever lower body issues he may or may not have going on. You know, I, I think you want as much time as possible to, to remedy those. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the teams that haven't played since March, the sooner the better, right? I, I, I don't, yeah. I don't think you want, you don't want to go almost a full calendar year without playing a sanctioned basketball game. No, I'm sure like Atlanta is like ready to try yeah. to go and make the playoffs. Yeah. Like, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if they came out like really hot out of the gates. Right. Um, for example. 
Sacramento. Let's get to the Kings. I I don't have a lot on Sacramento. Uh, they've kind of reverted back to being the Kings last year <laughs> after a, a pretty interesting 2018-19 season. You know, De'Aaron Fox took a big step forward. Harry Giles started looking like a player. Uh, you know, as a rookie, Marvin Bagley went healthy, was pretty solid. And then, you know, last year they... They just can't really figure out the guard rotation. De'Aaron Fox gets hurt early on, you know, keeps having ankle issues. Bagley barely plays at all. Rashawn Holmes is hurt. Um, they, Harrison Barnes and Corey Joseph are making a combined $35 million for this team. Like, I, I Based on how their free agency went, yeah, you can't be shocked, I guess, by how last season turned out. But uh, it really felt like for the first time in a long time going into last year, they finally had some momentum. And they, it really felt like they squandered that pretty quickly. Yeah, it, it 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 felt like they could have been a playoff. T- like they're they're coming into the season, their over under was thirty seven and a half mm-hmm. wins, and you know that so that's kind of like borderline playoff team, obviously. And uh, they yeah they just looked awful. Um, they ended, I guess they ended up going thirty one and and forty one, which is kind of on par with that. But they just like were not again like you alluded to. They they just don't have like a lot they can do. Right, moving forward, mm-hmm. you can maybe try to find a suitor for Harrison Barnes, but realistically, what are you even give, getting back for that in terms of like young players? Or yeah. they might they might lose Bogdan Bogdanovich, who is one of their one of their best players, and Bielitsa's thirty one or thirty two, so they're just in a really they're in a really tough spot. They remind me of the Jaguars, the Jacksonville Jaguars <laughs> of the NBA, in that they. Even, even you know, they, they've been in this just horrible depression for so long. And every time they get a good player, they just find a way to completely mess it up. You know, whether it's DeMarcus Cousins, whether it's, you know, Buddy Heald, who, I don't know, they're paying him a lot of money, but he's he's been pretty good for them. And, you know, basically everybody that turns into a good player ends up wanting, like, forcing their way out of the organization. And you take a loss on that investment. And that's basically what the Jaguars have done with all of their good players uh, outside of that, that magical uh, AFC championship run. Um, they're just, they're back to being the Kings. Like I said, I, I don't see them. I mean, do you see them having any chance to make the playoffs this coming year? Uh, I mean, they're, the, they're one of the teams that I just assume is out. Yeah. I, I think you have to. I mean, I like De'Aaron Fox and I like Buddy Heald, mm-hmm. but outside of that, I just don't have faith in really anybody on this roster to be a legitimate right. difference maker. Um, I, they're, they're just. They're in a tough spot. Right. I don't know what they're going to do because I don't even know, we don't even know if Marvin Bagley's good either. Yeah. Um, so I mean, you're just you're not going to go anywhere if Buddy Heald is maybe the second best player on your roster. Like, what kind of what even is that? That's and I think he's not... gone too. We'll see what they get back for him, but right. I don't I don't think he wants any part of playing for that team and that coaching staff next year. No, I don't think so. They benched him. Right. You know, like it was. I like. I know he's not a great defender and he has limitations in his game, but he, I don't think you can, he, he has to play 30 minutes a night. I mean, he's, he hits four, he hits four threes a game. He scores right. 20 points. Like, I, I just don't think it's, I mean, something is not, <laughs> something's going very wrong in yeah. Sacramento. Whoever ends up with him, I think is going to get a steal. Maybe not money wise, but I, I think in terms of skill and talent and, and what it's going to take to acquire him, I, I think that there's going to be a, a pretty big market for him and, and whoever gets him is, is going to get a good deal. Uh, let's pivot to the Spurs. Is there any market whatsoever for DeMar DeRozan and or LaMarcus Aldridge? If if the Spurs do something that 
really in our conscious lifetimes, we, we have not seen them do. And that's really embrace uh, a full rebuild, which based on how things are trending, based on their, their books, which are basically completely clear other than the DeJounte Murray extension after this season, um, you, you can't imagine that they would look to bring DeRozan and Aldridge back after this. Um, so again, the question is, do, do you try to flip those guys? Can you flip those guys for anything in, in this cap environment? I mean, I think you have to try. I mean, I think DeRozan, I, I don't know. I mean, at the, like the, the book's kind of out on him being like a winning player as like the number one or number two guy, right? Like it, it just doesn't work. So any team trading for him has to, I mean, I put him in like a Lou Williams type role, right? Like 28 minutes, yep. control most of the second unit offense. And I think that would work. Um, I just don't know what team has the assets to do that. Is in a position to really do that? Um, it's just like, it's, it's tough. So, and Aldridge, I have no idea. I have no idea what the market might be for Aldridge. He's very confusing as like a, as a player to me, like, where does he sit on a winning team now? Obviously like we, the last time we haven't seen him be a, a player on like a, a deep playoff team in a long time. So I don't even know where he sits anymore in terms of what, where does, where is he in the context of like, you know, like a top four, top five NBA team? Like, is he, does he have to be the fourth best player? Like, I just, I've no, like if he was know. the center for the Celtics, would that yeah. work? I mean, I think that would work, but you know, what, how does he get there? Right. And we continued to face this question when we project him for fantasy, you know, it's like, I think the last two years, I, I keep thinking like, this is a year he falls off. This, this is a year maybe there's an injury and he, and he really turns the corner. And he's, he's been really good for them, at least statistically. I, I think that contract, you know, even though they haven't really been in a position to win since Kawhi left, uh, it, it's worked out fairly well for them, all things considered. I, I think there's a, a path where that goes wrong earlier. Uh, but it, like you said, I mean, you have two guys. He's, in some ways, he's kind of like the forward version of DeRozan, where the numbers are good, but you're never looking at LaMarcus Aldridge and be like, we need to get that guy so we can push ourselves over the top. It's more like this guy might be holding us back, even though he's getting his 20 and nine. Is he really doing it uh, as efficiently or as effectively as we want? And I think DeRozan's the more extreme one. Like, I think the problem with trading DeRozan is there are certain teams that one, I don't think he wants to come off the bench and you don't want to be paying somebody that much money to come off the bench. But like if the Lakers had an opportunity, for example, to get DeRozan, would they even want a guy who has shown no interest in shooting threes at all? Like, I don't, that's not a guy that you would want playing your, playing your two, just, you know, siphoning 20 shots a game, doing it relatively efficiently, but kind of messing up the offense for everybody else. So I think with DeRozan, if a trade's going to happen, it almost has to be to a bad team that's just looking for a guy to, I would normally say draw fans, but that's not even a motivation this year. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, Charlotte, Detroit, a team like that, that one has the the salary room to do that. And two would allow him to go and play his game because if he's going to go to a good team, I don't think the current version of DeMar DeRozan can necessarily, you know, contribute to the way that basketball is going to be played in 2020 and beyond. Right. And we've talked about like the a potential DeRozan for Aaron Gordon trade before, which I think kind of yeah. makes sense for, for both sides. Um, but yeah, it's a good point. I, I would love that for both sides, honestly. I mean, DeRozan and Vucevic is, would be fun. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, though. He's a floor-spacing five at this point. Uh, Vucevic, he could do it. I mean, I think 
Yeah, he would. Um, DeRozan would almost have to go to a team like Houston, right? Where, the, but the problem is you don't want to take the ball out of <laughs> Hargan's him, hands. Him and Westbrook would be extreme. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine those three guys yeah. on the same team together? But I think it's that kind of a a team. You know, a five out team is the only way it can really be done. I mean, I haven't thought about this at all. So correct me if and when it sounds dumb. What What if you just flipped like Andrew Wiggins for DeRozan? Does Andrew that make the Warriors Wiggins. any better? Um, it's fun. I, mean, I don't know. Like, you talk about a team where he doesn't really wreck the spacing. You know, it's already so good with with those two guys. It doesn't really matter who's playing the three. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Would <laughs> if they want to get rid of Draymond, they just do that. Draymond for DeRozan. That would be something. I'm I'm very worried about wherever Draymond ends up next and how that goes. Yeah, I mean, I again, like this. I mean, this year for him is going to be really important, right? Like, is he ever going to shoot a basketball well again? Like, is, take that where back is his athletic? Yeah, <laughs> where is his athleticism? Like, can he even really like drive and make plays around the rim anymore? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm. I mean, I'm just I'm excited for the the Warriors in general. I think I mean they're obviously going to be the one of the most interesting teams in the league, along with, uh, like Brooklyn. Yeah, it it would be like taking the Chiefs out of the NFL for a year, you know, if something happened to Patrick Mahomes, and then all of a sudden getting like the most exciting team back. Like it's it's going to be really fun. My last point on the Spurs, and I, I alluded to this at the top, but both Rudy Gay, uh, who's at fourteen and a half mil, and and Patty Mills, um, will come off the books. He's at thirteen and a half after this year. I think there's a chance they move one or both of those guys this year, but that would really clear the way for, for that full rebuild. So I, I love the idea of if you can cash in DeRozan and Aldridge for a younger, you know, even though Aaron Gordon is, you know, his stock is probably about as low as it's been since he entered the league. But at least with him, it's like, you know, you're, you're basically saying, all right, we're, we'll take this project to seven years younger than DeMar DeRozan and, and just hope for the best. Like if they can just bring in a few of those guys, because they're not, they're not necessarily the type of team that's just going to, go sign Giannis next year and all of a sudden you're back in it. You know, I, I think they've been extremely fortunate and they've been extremely smart with, with how they built that team with Parker and Ginobili and Duncan and going all the way back to Robinson. But, you know, there's not really a clear guy to hand it off to this time. And I think for the first time in a long time, they could maybe struggle to, to rebuild if, if they don't, you know, start taking some swings on guys. Yeah. I mean, it feels like they should definitely trade Mills and Gay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I and, and again, I'm not even like really. You're right; they don't really have like a a definitive young player either. Like, right? Derek, That's the thing. It's like Kelton Johnson uh, looked good in the bubble, but he's Kelton Johnson. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, and like, yeah, like Lonnie Walker looked good at points. It's just like there's no. I don't have confidence in any of those guys, and they might not even keep Jakob Pertle either. Right. Yeah, the the centerpiece of the Kawhi trade. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, move to the Phoenix Suns. Big decision to make with Kelly Oubre, uh, 14.3 mil. He's on the books for this year and then unrestricted. I, to me, it, it feels like they're going to take this into free agency, but there is the possibility of an extension there. He, of course, did not play in the bubble. Uh, I think, think he tore his meniscus back in like January or February, uh, but was having a nice year before that. Part of the reason I, I think they could move on from Oubre is both Cam Johnson and Miles Bridges, their last two first-round picks, both those guys have looked really good. And Cam Johnson got better and better as the season went on. Um, McCall Bridges was 
I, I thought one of the most improved players overall uh, in the entire league from year one to year two. And and really looks like he could be a potential you know first or second team all defense guy down the road. So they, they have wings. Uh, they obviously have Devin Booker. They still have Ricky Rubio. DeAndre Ayton, you know, he's not Luka Doncic, but he's worked out pretty well. Uh, my one plea to the Phoenix Suns, please do not go and spend money on Montrezl Harrell. Do not do it. That would be awful. It would be. Uh, I could totally see it happening, though. I, that's a horrible world to imagine. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if they kept Oubre. Um, kind of because I don't know what they would do. Like, if they traded him, like, what would they get back? Um I don't know because they're kind of their positions are mostly filled, right? It's, he's, I mean, I guess he would play small ball four for them at times. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he's still quite a bit better than Cam Johnson overall. I, I just like it seems like they're kind of fine with Booker and Aiton being the guys, Rubio being the third guy setting them up, Bridges being the defender, and then Cam Johnson and Dario Saric just kind of being your spot up guys. Like, it doesn't seem like they want to hand Kelly Oubre maybe the possessions that that his game would would command yeah that's a good point um and i'm sure there would be some team that would maybe washington would take kelly Oubre back <laughs> uh <laughs> so yeah i mean if he kelly Oubre does feel like a guy who should be like the second best player on like a pretty bad team right like i don't know yeah like he can put up his 20 points a game he's kind of the evolved kyle kuzma yeah i think so yeah um, yeah, I mean, I love Bridges as well. You know, I love Mikel Bridges. Yep. I think he's kind of like a more of like the guard, just the smaller version of like Robert Covington. And I, I, I just have faith in them because I think I think Booker's really good. And Aiden, I'm like not entirely sold on Aiden yet, but he did make some pretty big strides this season. Um, you know, after returning from his suspension. Yeah. And I think that's a great. I mean, if you're building off of that one too, and you're still comfortable with having Rubio there, you're in a you're in a pretty good spot. What do you think of the notion that they could be a Chris Paul team? Yeah, you, know, you would flip Rubio to OKC. You, you might have to pile in. I, I think maybe Ubre's salary to make it work, and that that maybe is a sweetener, which says a lot about where Chris Paul's stock is at right now compared to a year ago. But I mean, what would you think of a of a potential starting five of Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Bridges, Johnson, or Saric, and then Aiden? I think I think I'd like it. Um, it would be incredibly short-sighted. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the problem with it is you're kind of gunning for the one year when Aiton and Booker are on a timeline that would be like five years down the road, right? Like they still have to, <laughs> they still have to like make the playoffs once those yeah. guys. So like, I I just, I mean, I like Rubio, so I'm like not opposed to keeping Rubio. And I, I don't know. I, it would feel, it would kind of feel like a son's move though, to me. Big time. Feels, it would feel on brand if they did it. Yeah. I, I almost hope it doesn't happen just because I, I personally feel that Chris Paul's hamstrings are a ticking time bomb. And I just, I just really can't see him replicating last season again. Um, especially if we're talking, you know, four games and five nights, that type of thing is back in the mix. And I don't think that bodes well for him. Uh, but but I don't know. I, I think Phoenix is going to try to build on the momentum that they that they captured at the end of the bubble, you know, and I, I think ideally they have enough pieces. That's basically what we're saying is like we love we love this roster. And, you know, you're, you're definitely still another big piece away from like really competing. But 
I don't know. They're like, they'll, they'll certainly be in the mix for the eight seed, I think next year. And, and maybe there's a team in the one through seven that we consider playoff locks that, you know, either moves in another direction, has a big injury and another spot opens up. Like to me, Phoenix and Sacramento are moving in opposite directions. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. All right, let's finish out with the Memphis Grizzlies. We have about six minutes left. So we'll, we'll spend the bulk of that on Memphis. You know, Memphis, I almost, when I was putting this list together, there's a reason that they're last. Uh, we were going alphabetically, but uh, I thought that they, that they were a playoff team. Uh, it turns out, obviously, that they lost the, the playing game to Portland and ended up not making it. But in a normal year, I think they would have probably held on. Um, this team, other than John Morant, I, I do feel like they overachieved last year. I, I think he was great. Um, you know, Brandon Clark ended up being a, a nice, relatively surprising player, although a lot of people did like him coming out of the draft. But, you know, looking at their roster now compared to just looking at Phoenix's, like, I don't really like Dylan Brooks. I'm not a huge Kyle Anderson guy. Uh, Josh Jackson was their backup small forward. Anthony Tolliver was their starting power forward at the end of the year. Uh, Valanchunas will likely move on. Um, you know, other than Morant and Jackson, this is a team that, that, that played really well together last year, but I know you've you've said a couple of times you're a little bit concerned about, you know, maybe a drop off next year, um, you know, when when they might not be able to improve as much as some other teams in the West. Yeah, I just don't. Morant, Jaron Jackson is not as good of a one two as Booker and Aiden. And I, I think you're spot on with like Dylan Brooks. He's fine. But he's just not really like he's OK. Right. Like I, I think I think he's probably getting too much of a share of the offense Big time. compared to how good he actually is. Um, and Kyle Anderson, I don't really, he's he's really not that good. Um, and so, it I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if they were like at the bottom of the West, not because they did anything wrong, but because I think they're still in rebuild mode. And they, yeah, they, I mean, they definitely overachieved. But I, I think there are other teams around them that have just as good of rosters like you know if you if you just go from the bottom of the standings up it's like golden state will be better than them minnesota should be competing with them uh for a similar record so should new orleans so should san antonio honestly the kings will probably be worse than the the grizzlies i would think they get they get no benefit of the doubt no but then you you know again you start going up the list and okc is the only team that made the playoffs that is probably definitively out next season so, you know, again, through no fault of their own, I think Memphis could be one of the worst teams in the West. Yeah, and I, I think it's asking too much of Morant in year two, even even though he was so good as a rookie to offset that, you know? So I, I'm with you. I don't, I don't think they'll necessarily be a bad team. I just think when you start to, you know, when it becomes a math equation and you start looking at the schedule and checking off wins and losses – it's just really hard to look at them and and feel really confident about them beating like 12 of the 15 teams in the West on any given night. Yeah, exactly. And especially if they lose Valanciunas. You right. Know, I, I think, cause I, I think Valanciunas is really good. If they keep them, they have a better chance. Um, and I do honestly like the duo of Valanciunas and, and Jaron Jackson. I, I do like Brandon Clark as well, but if they lose Valanciunas, that's, that's, I mean, it's one of their top mm-hmm. three players just kind of gone. And that'll just even create more issues. I have a Dylan Brooks stat for you. From January 31st through August 5th, that's only a 21-game span, despite that being like eight months. 21 games, 
so we're talking January 31st to March 10th pre-bubble, and then his first four games in the bubble. He did not shoot over 50% from the field in any of those games. There's one game when he went, uh, where was it? There was one game where he shot exactly 50% from the field. Every other game, he was under 50%. Yeah, he just loves chucking threes, man. That's insane. Like, that's so hard to do. I, I would, without looking, because this would be impossible to look up, I don't think there's another player in the league that went 21 straight games without even, like, a 6-for-12 night. Yeah, especially someone Four who plays, eight. like, roughly 30 minutes a game. Right? Yeah. Like, he was, during the span, he was averaging 16 shot attempts per game. Yeah, he's kind of a chucker. I, I think, I think like, long-term, you want him to be, like, your fifth-best player or your sixth-best player, right? Like, uh, that's kind of what uh, yeah, he projects Yeah, I don't think he, he is never, ever a starter on a, like, conference finals team or even a team that makes the second round. I don't think. I'm, I've never been a big fan of his. You, Dave, this has always been his game. I know you're not a big college basketball guy, but he was, believe it or not, even more of a chucker in college. He's just one of those. Is he just one of those guys who's like, well, it's, I mean, he's got a lot of confidence, you know. Yeah. Like, right. It was it was like kind of cute in college, where it's like, well, this guy, <laughs> you know, he's he's zero for eight, but he'll just keep shooting. And yeah, the stakes are a little higher now. Um, I will say though, his final seventeen games of the year, he did score in double figures in all seventeen of those games. Had at least thirteen points, or excuse me, at least twelve points in all seventeen of those. So even though he is chucking and taking a lot of shots, it is resulting in some points. I don't know. I I just don't think I I would not count him as a guy that I am like, this guy's for sure part of my core. Like we need to keep Morant, Jackson, uh, Clark and Brooks. Like Brooke, I, I would be willing to move him for almost anything at any point. Um, we have 30 seconds. I just want to remind you, Justice Winslow is on this roster. That's actually intriguing. It is. That, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what to say about it. Cause it feels like every time he plays, he tweaks his back or his hip or whatever. And, and then we don't see him for the rest of the year, but that was the swing piece in the Iguodala deal, right? I mean, I think it looks good on both sides. Uh, Iguodala wasn't doing anything for Memphis, obviously. Uh, Miami made the finals. Uh, but I, you know, I'm still very intrigued by what Justice Winslow may have to offer. I just want to see as many Josh Jackson, Justice Winslow minutes together as possible. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.